And good morning, Calvary. We just lit the joy candle. If you notice, the joy candle has a different color than the others. And the reason that is because joy is a different result, a different um, implications than the faith and the hope that we lit the last few weeks in peace even next week. And here's why. Joy is an effect of what God is doing in our life. Joy is difficult to work on by itself. So that's what we're going to talk about today. How do we work on that idea of joy? When I think of joy, I think back to the time when I was a child. I'm not going to do what Drew did last week and make you do hand motions, but I will think of the child, the child song, right? And it goes something like this. I've got the joy, 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 wait for it, joy down in my heart. Anybody ever heard this song? And the next question is, where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. And I'm so happy, so very happy, because I have the love of Jesus in my heart. And, and as I was thinking about that, I, I thought, why do we teach our kids that? And I think it's because the kids need to know it, because the adults haven't always exemplified joy like we should. Can we just admit that? So sometimes the kids are like, where's the joy? Well, it's down in my heart. But seriously, where's the joy? Well, it's, it's down in my heart. <laughs> but where is it? It's, it's down in my heart. And sometimes we can even sit there and go, okay, well, and I'm so happy, so very happy. But don't worry, I have the love of Jesus in my heart. Joy should be more than just something buried deep in your heart. Joy is the outpouring of what God is doing in our lives as we build up our hope and faith. So let's look through this lens as we go through Luke if you have your blue book, we'd love for you to turn there. If you don't have one, we still have some of those we can sell out in the lobby after the service. The, the words will be on the screen as well, as well as you can take the screenshot of the QR code on the back of your chairs. But as we do this, I want us to look in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verses 5 through 7. We're going to be reading quite a bit today, and we're going to talk about joy. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight. If you were an underliner, underline that. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and the requirements of the Lord. But they had no children because they could not conceive, and maybe you want to underline that as well. And both of them were well along in years. You have this righteous couple who could not conceive. You have this tension, right, of what's going on. You have a, a faith-filled people who, or the circumstances, may not preclude themselves to joy, may not lean into joy. So how do we handle that conflict? Last week, Drew identified that the Holy Spirit was falling on those that are righteous. You're going to see in the story later on that the Holy Spirit shows up in Zechariah's presence again because he was a righteous Man, but yet the righteousness didn't lead to the ease of life. Have you ever noticed that? Now, you can still have joy in the midst of your circumstances. How? Because we have to understand that hope plus faith leads to belief. Hope plus faith leads to belief. That may be an equation you wanted to, to write in your book. Hope plus faith leads to belief. So the hope is the belief that God is going to do something, right? And faith is the idea that I understand, I, I know, even though I can't see, that God is going to make it 
good. And so when you add hope into faith, it, it allows you to develop this belief system that allows you to operate out of joy. Why? Because belief leads to joy. In fact, here's the spoiler where we're going. It is the discipline practice of belief that will lead you to have joy in all circumstances. The discipline practice. But Daniel, what does that look like in the chaos? What does this look like when we can't have the circumstances of our life go like we want them to? Maybe you came in today, you're broken, and you're longing for the hope of the Savior. And you really don't want another sermon that, that is distributed in such a manner that makes you feel guilty because you don't feel the joy of the Lord right now, right? And you're like, I really don't feel like I should be in a place of joy. How do we wrestle with that when this happens? Well, let's define joy according to the definition given by John Piper. Here's what joy says. is Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul. Produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul. That old song goes deep down in my heart. You can substitute the word soul there for that. It's the same. It's the deep down. It's something innate, something deep within you. Produced by the Holy Spirit. Did you get that? You can't manufacture it yourself who causes you to see the beauty of Christ in the Word and in the world. So here's the way that we fail. As a church and as a community, we know we're supposed to have joy, so we fake joy. We know we're supposed to have joy, so we put on these happy faces, and we go, I got the joy of my life, and really? What's going on this week? Well, I, I, I lost my arm, I lost my leg, I lost my job, I lost my dog, and, and, but it's all good. I, I got the joy of the Lord of my life, Right? Anybody? And so we sit here and we struggle with it. Like, how do, how, do we, how do we unfold this? Like, when our emotions don't match joy, what do we do? Well, first of all, we have to realize that emotions are from God. And joy, as even by Piper's definition, is married to the emotions that we feel. So here's a caution for you. Be honest with what you feel. Why? Because fake joy will never lead to authentic joy. In fact, fake joy robs us from true joy. When you have to fake it, it will rob you of the joy that you're supposed to have. When you have to act like, I'm supposed to be happy, I'm at church, so right, you know, kids, stop arguing. We're on our way to church. You know, we've been through that. I've got, to, I've got to pretend that everything's all right. No, you do not have to pretend anything. But yet God wants you to have joy. The Bible says rejoice in all things. Again, I say rejoice. His joy comes in the morning. The belief that God has given us a way to handle the world as we see the beauty of what he's doing in every circumstance, even the tragedies. And the... So what do we do about that? 
This last week I was talking to Drew Phillips. We talk about our sermons. So when I quote him and he quotes me, it's because we've collaborated. Let's just get beyond that, okay? So we were talking with, with Drew this last week and he shared with me this quote. And I, and I love this. This is a paraphrase of a, of a quote of a man who said he was going through difficult times and here's what he said. God, I know I'm supposed to pray. May your will be done. But today, I feel more like asking for my will to be done. Let me say that again. God, I know I'm supposed to pray, may your will be done. But today, I feel like asking for my will to be done. And at first glance, that may make you feel icky, like that's not a holy prayer. But can I just argue something real quick? That is a holy prayer. Why? Because God knows you're already feeling it anyways. He does. Now, it's not a holy prayer if we start praying, God, I demand my will to be done. Right? But it's an honest prayer when we say, God, I want my will to be done. And then we sit there and go, okay, God, but if the answer is no. Do you realize that two-thirds of the Psalms are lamentations? Laments. Two-thirds of the biggest book of the Bible are of David or of somebody else writing, saying, God, I want to believe you're good, but where are you? But yet I praise you. God, I'm struggling, but would you be my shepherd as I walk through the valley of shadow of death? God, I, I want to acknowledge you are good, but... Right? And maybe you came in here to use this deep theological term of feeling... Today. And you're sitting there going, I want to have hope and I want to have faith, but, but there's something going on and my soul is wrestling. God, where are you? I want to have joy. But right now I feel anguish. If you can't find joy by faking joy, then it's important to acknowledge the role that your emotions play. And in doing so, I want to give you two questions to ask before we can even begin to develop and discipline ourselves to faith. First, am I being honest with God about how I feel? Do you ever suppose that we can fool the God of this universe who lovingly made you in your mother's womb and gave you the fingerprints on your fingers? Who knows everything about you that you could somehow go, God, I'm not really mad. <laughs> but you are. Have you ever wanted to just scream out and go, God, right now I'm frustrated. Why do we suppose that the God of this universe can't handle that? Or do we feel like he's going to strike us down with lightning because we're honest? Let me encourage you, be honest with God while still fearing the Lord, okay? Be honest with God with what you're feeling. Be, be honest. And the only way you can be honest with God with what you're feeling is first being honest with yourself. We start buying into this lie that to be a Christian means I have to always be happy. I always have to be go lucky. I always have to be good. And, and no, it's, that's not the way this works. When cancer strikes, it should hurt. When we lose our job, there, there's okay to be in anguish. When, when we're struggling with the, the difficulties and the problem of this world, since sin has come into this world, there will be hardships. That's why we need hope and we need faith. Because as sin matriculates through the generations, since Adam and Eve first sinned, the closer we are to a sin, the more we'll feel the ripples. It's like when the rock is thrown into a pond. It's an illustration I use around here a lot. 
When a rock is thrown into the pond, the closer you are to that ripple, that impact, the bigger the waves are going to crash into your life. In other words, if your dad was a loser, that's going to feel like big wave implications to you and hopefully less implication to your kids and less to the grandkids, etc. But the ripples keep going generations throughout. You understand what I'm saying? So when we have the need for hope and faith, it's because sin is still in the world. And because sin is in this world, there's going to be struggles. Now one day, we will be before our Father in heaven if we have a relationship with Him, if we believe that He has died for us. The joy that will come in that moment is the realization that we no longer need faith and hope. Why? Because there will be no more problems. Hope implies there are problems. Faith is necessary because there's problems. Faith is believing in what we cannot see. One day we will see it all. Amen? So as we're dealing with joy, as we build up our faith, as we build up our hope, those purple candles will lead to the effect of the pink candle shining a light that allows us to believe that God is doing something even when we don't understand what he's doing. So church, you don't have to lie to God. And in turn, lie to yourself. What are you feeling today? Guys, I don't feel nothing. You could be in the nothing space, but that's another story. The reality is, being honest with what you're feeling is important for you to develop your belief. Because you see, as we grow our belief, the discipline of belief will lead to joy as we lean into the Holy Spirit. As we lean into the Holy Spirit. So we have this story. There's this righteous couple, Zachariah and Elizabeth. And some people didn't think they were righteous because in that day and time, if you didn't have a kid, people were like, what's wrong? What sin are you hiding from God? But Luke makes it a really big point to say they were righteous, but they also couldn't have children. There were problems in this world that weren't necessarily the result of what they were doing that were robbing them of the joy they wanted, but yet they still stayed steadfast in their focus and in their praise of God, even though at times they were probably going, God, why? So let's continue the story, and I want to do something a little different. I'm going to ask you to read either by using your blue lookbook, you can look up an app, you can look on screen, but I want you to read the next nine verses, verses 8 through 17, silently. And underline and write down some notes in there because I know what it's like when the pastor sometimes reads, you check out. So I want you to engage the scripture yourself and notice how the joy is met when God interacts with Zechariah. Take the next two minutes. The words will be on the screen if you have no other option. If you finish early, take some notes. Write down something you observed. 
So we see the unfolding of the story. And we see great joy is going to come to you. Why? Because he got what he wanted? No. Did you notice that? It is true that they got to have a child, but what was the implication? Was it, hey, Zachariah, you and your wife get to have this baby that you've always wanted. I hope it makes you happy. No, what, what, what did he say? He said, Zachariah, you get to have the joy because your child will grow up and be a messenger. Your child will make a difference for the kingdom of God because you are righteousness. Because you are righteous, I can trust you with this. Now, God may not, you can't fool God into getting what you want. And God sometimes, because he loves you, will say no. And sometimes the result of the difficulties of your life aren't even because of you, but they're because of somebody else's choices. And that stinks. But through all of this, I want you to see God has not forgotten you. God cares. And when you learn as a righteous person to build your belief, I believe that Zachariah and Elizabeth live their life in such a way that they're like, Lord, make my life be one that glorifies you. I believe that you are doing something. I believe then God shows up. Can you hear the belief that led to the joy? Now, here's the thing. Just because you're headed in that right direction doesn't mean you're always going to do it right. In fact, look with me in verses 18 through 20. How can I know this? Zechariah asked the angel. For I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. It's an honest question, except that it didn't show the belief that God is who he says he was. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. His actions didn't show belief. His response wasn't, oh good, God's going to do something in my life. And so he got robbed a little bit of the joy. Now he got some joy because they'd wanted to have a child for their whole life. But imagine waiting your whole life and you're now really old and you get to, to realize what you've always wanted and then you can't tell anybody around it for, I don't know, how long does a baby come? Like nine months? Right? I'm pretty sure. And so there's this like resounding way that God moves and Zachariah is all of a sudden forced to wrestle with a different problem. And this one was of his own doing. Church, just because God answers one problem doesn't mean another one won't come. But yet his faithfulness will continue to move. His, his, the belief that God cares, the, the reality that as we build in hope and we build in faith that there can be joy, that we can rejoice in all things, comes from the place that God will be glorified in a life surrendered to him. So here's the question. Are you surrendering it to him? Because what's the point? The point is his presence. Now, do you think it's any accident that Zechariah was in the presence of the Lord because he was in the holy place offering a sacrifice to God, right? This is a place where they would have like tied a rope around his ankle in case he died in the presence of God so they could drag his carcass out because they weren't going in if the dude died, right? And he encounters the presence of God in a, in a miraculous way. I mean, but you know what? We no longer need to do that. 
Because the Easter story comes after the Christmas story. And when Jesus died for us, he becomes alive. And because he becomes alive in us and then ascends into heaven, we have the power of the Holy Spirit. Go back and listen to the last three months sermons if you want to hear about that. And as the Holy Spirit comes in our life, we're able to have joy in every circumstances because we know God's presence is going to sustain us even in the chaos and in the sin of the world, whether it's our doing or someone else's. Woo! You don't seem very excited about it. This is where joy comes. Joy comes when we understand no matter what's coming, God has this. And the beauty of the surrender, of the life surrender to that, is when we find the joy. So, how are we doing? At times, grief and suffering comes into our life because of the circumstances beyond our control. And sometimes we cause these circumstances. Let's be honest about that. However, as we mature in our faith, we are able to lean into God We've disciplined ourselves to the belief of seeking the presence of God. So his presence not only becomes our joy, his presence is our joy. I recently read a book by Trevin Wax. I'm still reading it. It's a great theologian. I'm not going to get into all of it, but I want to give credit where credit's due, and this is where a part of this is coming the next. I've adapted it a little. And in the story, he describes how we get robbed from the presence of God. We drift slowly as followers of Jesus in many different ways. We don't even realize we're doing it, and it robs us not only of our joy, it robs us of the very presence of God who is our joy. And let me just real quickly, because maybe you didn't come in here today with a bunch of angst. Maybe you didn't come in here, you're not one of those people who, but you're still struggling having joy. Why? Could it be that we haven't sought the presence of God like we should? So here's four quick ways that we may rob ourselves of joy. First, you're just walking through the motions. It's kind of like I'm hoping to find the presence of God by osmosis. I'm around God's people every Sunday. I'm in a small group. I, I, I'm, I'm walking around, I'm, I'm, I'm eating at Christian places and working out at Christian gyms and, you know, all those things. And you can be in all those things. You can even serve. You can, but osmosis doesn't mean you have the presence of God. You have to be in His presence to find the joy. Does that make sense? Maybe you aren't taking your quiet time seriously. Maybe your prayer life is struggling. You have to discipline yourself in belief which means you have to sometimes do things you don't want to do to make sure you're in the presence of God. I don't always feel like having a quiet time, and I'm a pastor, right? So let's do that. Second way that we can drift away is through serving. What do you mean? Serving is the most holiest thing in the world. I mean, Jesus was the hands and the feet. Yeah, Jesus went and he healed the world. He went around and he, he caused the blind to see. He even brought a live, a dead man back to life who then died again. You realize that everybody served, that Jesus served? He did so to show them that he was God and that his presence was ultimately what they needed. The idea of serving people is very important if it leads people to the presence of God. But if you give people service but don't point them to God, we are robbing them of the joy they could be receiving. And we're robbing ourselves in the process. Oh, we should serve. 
Jesus earned. But that's not the ultimate thing we're about. The presence of God is what we're about. And some of you are like, amen, pastor, you tell them. You know, that they need to get their right theology. And what I would say is, watch out. Because the Pharisees thought they had the right theology. And I've met a lot of people who dive into theology at depth and can tell me words that I don't even remember from seminary. And you know what? I don't really care. Because it isn't about how much you know, because the devil knows more than I know, but he doesn't live a life surrendered to God. So if you aren't spending time in the presence of God, in other words, if your theology is more about you and what you know, that's really like, insert your name, ology, like Daniel-ology, right? That's not really about seeking the presence of God. Any theology, theos, the study of God, should lead you to the presence, should lead you to drawing closer to him. So if our theology doesn't lead us to the presence of God, we're doing it wrong. Theology is very, very, very important, and it's very important to get right. Okay? I'm not minimizing theology, but I'm saying the understanding of theology is not the goal. The presence of God is the goal. And finally, some of you are like, oh my goodness, I'm failing at all of this, and you're my perfectionist. And can I just tell you real quick, there are a lot of us in the church world that are perfectionists. And you're beating yourself up going, wow, I can't, I can't find joy because I'm a terrible human being. I, I yelled at my kids this morning and I don't, they don't even live in the home anymore. And, you know, like I, I had these evil thoughts about my wife or my husband and, and they, I, don't, I don't even tell them. And, you know, all these things. And you're like mad at yourself all the time. You're like, God, I, and we somehow don't believe that the God of this universe would love us. You don't have to act. You don't have to dance before the Father of this universe to be considered holy and righteous in His sight. You have to be surrendered. And the surrender will lead you to the discipline of faith. <laughs> Somebody needs to hear this, right? Mamas, you don't have to have Christmas perfect to have a good Christmas. Your kids need to find Jesus. Dads, love your wife well. Amen? <laughs> I love it when the women go, amen. <laughs> and as we're doing all of this, as we're unwrapping this and we're unfolding this, what we begin to realize is the enemy's pretty smart and wants to rob you of joy. But if you want to rejoice in all things, you want to learn how to do that? You do have to discipline yourself to seek after the hope and the faith even when you don't feel like it. And what happens? Verse 57. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she had a son. Then her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they, wait for it, rejoiced with her, had joy again with her. And when they came to circumcise the child on the eighth day, they were going to name him Zechariah after his father. But his mother responded, oh no, he will be called John. Then they said to her, none of your relatives have that name, which was an unusual practice back then. So they motioned to the father to find out what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they were all amazed. Immediately his mouth was opened. Did you get that? 
immediately his mouth was open. Why? Because he practiced the discipline of belief. Hope and faith. And fear came on all those who lived around them. And all those things were being talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard about him took it to heart saying, What then will this child become? For indeed the Lord's hand was with him. So how do we know we have joy? You rejoice. You have joy again. How do you know you're rejoicing? You're worshiping. Listen to the words of the song in the back half of the service. Let them pour over you. Understand that God has not forgotten you, that God cares for you. Understand that there's a discipline that you have to practice that says, I need this. And if you live this life without the presence of God, let me just tell you, you are robbing yourself of having the joy of the Lord, the joy of purpose and meaning. Be honest with what you're feeling. That's why at the end of the service, there'll be several of us up here praying with you. We were backed up in the last service, three deep. Can you be patient with us as we pray with you? We want to pray with you, okay? But come and, and let us pray because church, we need each other. We need to lean into each other. We need to go to small groups and not be like, oh, you're supposed to have joy. No, we need to go, are you struggling right now? Let's exercise the prayer of lamenting with you as we believe that God is going to do something through this. I'm not trying to snap my fingers and make you better, in other words. But we are going to still praise God in the storm. You see what I'm saying? If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, we invite you to that. But as we close today, I want to, I want to give you a very practical daily training, and then I want to do a prayer blessing for you today. Here's the daily training. Use your lookbook. There's pages in the back that are blank. To keep a journal of joy. Oh, why are you doing this to me? Just to make you mad. So that you have to find joy. But in the back, what I encourage you to do is don't just, I had you look back in the past, but as God shows up, maybe you want to like, this song meant something to me, and write down those words. See the practice of disciplining, which what you're doing then is you're building the faith, which allows you to look forward to with hope, which is allowing you to build your belief, which is going to grant you joy. As you discipline yourself to notice the beauty of God's word, as the Holy Spirit shows up in your life, you're softening your heart, and as you begin to see God move in and all around you, then when the circumstances of life explode in the middle of that chaos, you're going to have a peace and a presence. You're going to go, where did this come from? It come from God. And then you're going to write it in your journal book and it's going to build and you're going to build and you're going to build and then you can be known as a righteous man or as a righteous woman, even though sometime you will fail at this. Testify. Once again, we need the church. But church, it can grow. It really can. So I'm going to close today in an awkward way. I want to say a prayer of blessing over you today and the band's going to come out and they're going to move the table while you're looking at me. And I'm going to ask you to pray. And sometimes, if you feel comfortable, I would like to invite you to have your hands up and to look at me. Some of you are going to be like, I don't want to do that. Okay, whatever. But it's just a posture. And I want to invite you as I pray a prayer of blessing today to believe that the God of this universe cares for you. That the God of this universe has not forgotten you and that he wants you to have joy. And invite you to be honest with him, to give him every part of you and to come pray with us at the end of the service. Can we do that? So if you feel comfortable, put your hands out. If not, that's okay. Father, and the power of your son who has come onto this earth, we ask that you move in this room.
through every brokenness, through every situation, through every chaos that we are experiencing, God. Help us to surrender that to you, to find joy in what you are going to do in the middle of the chaos, to believe that you have not forgotten us, that your presence is here. God, we pray that your presence would fall in this room like the dew on a morning. Oh God, would you rain down on this room? Would you rain down in your presence on your people so that we can live for you, so that we can testify your faithful and abundant love in every situation, in every circumstance. And when the chaos of this world happens, God, help me to lean into you. Help us to lean into you so that we might be the example of what the church should be. God, we give you ourselves the best we can right now. We pray for miracles to happen. We, we pray for us to see hope fulfilled through marriages saved, through broken broken children and, and children wandering away, coming back into you through the job insecurity, through the, the pandemics of this world. God, would you show up? Would you testify and believe that we are good so that we can see it? Spirit, we invite you to move. Would you help us to see your beauty and to testify with joy from the power of your presence? In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.